In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In our gospel passage for today, we hear Jesus telling that well-known parable of the Good Samaritan. There are several layers of meaning to this parable, and I think all too often we get stuck at just that first level of meaning. So I'm going to start there, but I'm going to take you somewhere else. First, what does Jesus mean? Well, when he tells this story, this story that we know so well, he is definitely calling us to a level of righteousness that involves reaching out selflessly with compassion and generosity to those around us in dire need. People all around us, here in Birmingham, around the world, in our personal lives, at work, in our families, among our friends, people have needs that we, in our selfishness, might be completely unaware of. When we are in denial or self-absorbed, we miss seeing that hurting friend, that family member in financial need, or the sick co-worker who just is not getting better. Well, in this parable, we see two religious leaders, the righteous in Israel, pass by the dying man in the ditch on the side of the road. They cross over. They can't be bothered. Their agenda is too important for the day, and they don't want to defile themselves by touching a dying man. Finally, a third man comes along, and this man, he is moderately wealthy, we know, because of his donkey, and he's a Samaritan, and he stops. The precedent of the other two highlight the fact that he doesn't pass on, he stops, and he has compassion, and then he goes and he dresses the man's wounds, and he picks the man up, and he puts him on his own ride, and he carries him on to an inn, where he takes care of him, and he even pays for his future care out of his own wallet. So yes, as Christians, Jesus is calling us to go and do likewise. We know this. We know this as Christians. This has been the interpretation that we've heard for centuries. And that's why there are so many good Christian hospitals and ministries called Good Samaritan. And we've come to associate that phrase, the Good Samaritan, with doing good, with caring for those in need. There is also, however, a second level of meaning, another layer to be peeled back from this story. This story is not just about doing good. Yes, it is about doing good. But it is about more than that. And we can see that when we look at the conversation that sparks this telling of this story. Jesus is approached by a lawyer. The lawyer stands up to ask Jesus a question, and Luke tells us that he does this because he wants to test Jesus. This lawyer has spent his whole life studying and interpreting the law of Moses, and he is testing Jesus by saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life. He's hoping to get away 
with a very clear to-do list from Jesus so that he can then walk away with a puffed-up chest with confidence that he will be able to accomplish all that is required. He wants to be able to have legal proof that he can point to and say, See, I have eternal life. Well, Jesus answers his question with a question, and the lawyer recites the law, summarizes the law wonderfully, love God and love your neighbor. Jesus, do this and live. Good. But the man did not get the attaboy from Jesus that he was hoping for, and so he keeps on speaking. He asks again, and this time, like a true lawyer, he goes for the gray area. And who is my neighbor? He wants to be able to say, well, I've served this person and this person. Good. It's done. I'm in. And Jesus, again, answers his question with a question. How wonderful. And before he asks him that second question, he tells this parable, the parable that we know so well. And he says then to this man, which of these three proved to be a neighbor? Well, I'm certain that after Jesus told this story, there was total silence in his first audience. And I think that there was total silence because they were horribly offended by the suggestion that a Samaritan, one who was the sworn enemy of Israel, would stoop even, would even have the compassion to go the extra mile for an enemy, for someone who had um, been a part of a people that had denounced him, that had called him a schismatic and a heretic, that had excommunicated him and shunned him. And so we see that by choosing the good Samaritan, by choosing a Samaritan as this paragon of virtue, Jesus is essentially saying that if you would like to fulfill the law, then you must at all times have the utmost compassion Not only for those who are closest to you in your life, but for those who bitterly hate you. For those who have told lies about you. For those who have slandered you. For that person who might have stolen your inheritance. Jesus is saying that we must love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And so this scribe who had hoped to walk away with a badge of honor, a badge of merit that he could point to and say, I can do this, or I have done this. Look, see, I'm in. Jesus has just raised the bar, and he has raised it so clearly beyond human ability. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus does this. When he exposits the law of Moses, he internalizes it, he raises the bar, He makes it so high so that it is clear that it is exact perfection that God requires of us. And this perfection is something that we as fallen human beings are incapable of. As a girl, I knew this incapability so saliently because my parents sent me away to summer camp. For two weeks, I was sent to a super competitive athletic camp. Now, if you know anything about me, you would know that I excelled at many things. And I, you know, excelled at academics. I loved to read. I was an artistic person involved in the theater. 
But running a good mile and um, passing the ball and catching the ball were not strengths of mine. And so when I came to this camp, along with my sisters, I found that I had a deep-seated anxiety about all of this athleticism. And to make matters worse, this camp divided all the campers into two teams, ironically called the Galatians and the Romans. And we had to compete based on our merit. We had to each earn a badge that would give points to our team so that our team could win and be the best. Well, I must admit that in the midst of gymnastic tumbles and kayak and canoe tests and um, track meets and swim meets, um, I found myself despairing of ever reaching that basic proficiency. My sisters and I dubbed this camp summer's worst two weeks. And those standards led me to despair, but then, after several years of going to this camp, I managed to maintain, I got to that basic proficiency. And of course, when I received that merit badge, I was so proud. I took home that symbol of my achievement, and I posted it somewhere where I could see it. I was so glad, I was so proud, because I had done it. Well, the lawyer in this gospel passage wants just that. He wants a badge of achievement that he can hang somewhere and look to and know that he's done it, that he has received eternal life. And Jesus is uh, making it impossible for him to receive that. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan to drive the lawyer to his knees And he tells it to drive us to our knees as well. So that we would be moved to ground our hope of salvation, not on the slippery and shifting sands of our own achievement, but rather on the solid and sure ground, that solid rock of Jesus' achievement, of what he has done for us. And so it is in this third look, at the Good Samaritan that we see along with the earliest church interpreters, that Jesus himself is the Good Samaritan. We are not only that arrogant scribe, but we are also the man dying in the ditch. And unlike that man, our afflictions are not just random suffering. They are the result of our brokenness and our sin. In our sin, in our rejection of God, in our attempts at achievement, in our pride, we have made ourselves enemies to God. Just like that Jewish man was an enemy to the Samaritan that came along. And yet, thanks be to God, because in the words of St. Paul, while we were enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so though we have rejected and spurned or even just ignored God, Jesus in his compassion and by the power of his cross reaches out to us. And he lifts us up from the dust and mire of our broken achievements, our failures, our pride. And he puts us on his own horse. And our badge of achievement is not something that we can point to. We walk away from encounter with Jesus with nothing, with empty hands, and yet with that sign of our salvation, the cross itself. And this is why when I see a cross in our churches, 
or on the walls in our homes or around our necks. I see it as a reverse badge of honor, a reverse badge of merit, one that reminds us of our shame, but of our shame canceled out, of our debts forgiven. And so when you wear your cross, when you see a cross, may you, like me, be reminded of the certain hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that our debts are canceled, our failures are forgiven and forgotten, and that we can rest in what it is that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so for this we can say, thanks be to God.